Um, Today's scripture comes to us from Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 through 46. It's the greatest commandment. Hearing that, Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, and the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert of the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the, all the, law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, What do you think about the Messiah? Whose son is he? The son of David, they replied. They said, he said to them, How is this it then that David, speaking by the Spirit, calls him Lord? For he says, The Lord said to my, the Lord said to my Lord, Sir, at my right hand, until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how can he be his son? No one could say the word, say a word in reply from that day on. No one dared to ask him any more questions. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thank you, Mark. And now may the words of my mouth, but the meditations that are received from all of our hearts, be acceptable to you, O Lord, our God and our Creator. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, drive away the chaff, let the kernels behind might truly nourish us. And we ask this in the name of our Creator of our Redeemer, and of our Sustainer. Amen. In 1973, there was a rock opera came out, uh, and it really, uh, it, was, it, was, it was pretty amazing when they did it. It was called Jesus Christ Superstar. <laughs> I knew Kylie would like that. And then uh, in, that, in that rock opera, opera, Mary Magdalene, she is singing... I just don't know how to love him. You see, Christ had saved Mary from prostitution, from demonic possession, and now she wanted to live to please Jesus. She wanted to offer him her lifetime devotion. But how could she express her love? You know, in her earlier years, she, she had easily known how to please men. But Jesus, oh, he was different. What did he want from her? How could she serve him? Isn't Mary like most of us? Here we are, we're, we're saved and, and we're waiting to be devoted to God but not knowing how. You know, we are so deeply grateful for all that he has done for us, but we don't know how to respond. You know, there's good news. In Mark 12 and Matthew 22, Jesus teaches us how to please God. He tells us that we can best serve him. And he says, you shall love the Lord your God. He's calling us to love. Jesus is quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 6 and, and Leviticus. And these verses are called the Shema, or the first word in Jesus' law. And this commandment to love God was and still is the final text every 
the very first text every Jewish child memorizes. And it's important because it has such merit in the scrolls bearing the command that we are bound to that they used to wear it on their wrist and even on their forehead so that they would not forget it. You shall love the Lord your God. This is what God wants from us. Love. The most intimate and warm and creative and committed of all human acts. And this is God's desire for us. In inviting our affections, God provides us in Scripture what a, a, a really memorable picture of our love relationship. Often God refers to himself as, as being the groom and the people of faith and love as being his bride. We find that in Hosea and Revelation and Matthew. And so our relationship with God is a relationship of love. It's an intimate romantic, enduring oneness akin to marriage. You know, it's interesting that the Greek word in the text for love is agape. And the most exalted form of love that a person can offer. Now, God could have asked us for, for, uh, uh, for uh, eros, which is the Greek word from which we get the English notion erotic, this is a love that develops between two people who find in one another's flesh a pleasing relationship, but God is not asking us for this. Another form of love God could have requested us is philia or friendship. And the love develops between two people who enjoy a meeting of minds. Maybe they have common values, goals, hobbies. But again, God is not asking us for this. But the word is agape. And you shall agape the Lord your God. And agape love means unconditional love. You see, much of our human love is conditional. Now, we may love someone because, well, they meet our emotional and physical needs for intimacy. Or, or maybe we love someone if they are nice to us. But when the conditions on which our love like this is, is, is propped, we are withdrawn. And then so is our love. And the trouble with I love you because and I'll love you if is that it doesn't last very long. And when one of the partners fails to meet the other's expectations, then that's where the love is ends. Agape, however, places no stipulations. It simply says, I love you, period. Nothing you can do or nothing will ever change my mind. It is true that one may love God because he has been good to you. Maybe he's given you a, a job or, or maybe a house Maybe a car, a family. But unconditional love for God will continue even when these things are not ours. If you go back into the Old Testament with me, back in the book of Job, you remember the history of the rich and healthy 
family man who lost his children. He lost all of his possessions, even lost his health. But he did not lose his love for God. And he was sitting on top the, the rubble of life that Job had worshipped. He said, naked I came into the world, naked I'll go. The Lord giveth, and the Lord taketh away. But blessed be the name of the Lord. You see, Job did not love God just because he had been good to him. He did, nor did he set conditions. He didn't say, if you make me wealthy and healthy, I'll love you. Job loved God, period. And circumstances could not alter that. But do you remember Job's wife? <laughs> she had a different story. She loved God because he was good to her. He had given her a husband, a family, wealth, health. But now when all that was gone, so was her love for God. She told her husband, she said, curse God and die. Agape, unconditional love. That's what God is asking us for. You shall love the Lord your God. Interesting, John 3.16 says that the God's love for us is agape. For God so loved the agape, the world that he gave us. God, you see, is, is asking us to love him as he already loves us. All that. Now this. What practical expression does our love for God take? We have already seen that God made us in his own image. We are part of what it means to be a, a, a tripartite creation. We have a spirit. We have a physical body. We have a soul. We have emotion. We have will. We have intellect. And this is what God is calling us to love him with. And Jesus said, Look at the text. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And here Jesus is appealing to us to love him unconditionally. You know, emotional love. First of all, the text tells us to, to love God with all our emotions. And Jesus said again, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart. And many people the church today, they feel strongly However, that emotion has no place in the faith. We, we don't want someone shouting and weeping with enthusiasm in our church, they say. We're afraid of emotionalism. And yet the picture we get of Christ in the New Testament has dimensions of emotion. Remember that Jesus wept when he learned of John the baptizer's death. That was his cousin. At a wedding party, the Lord made wine for the, the merrymakers. And he cried his heart out for Jerusalem. He shed tears as he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. He breathed fire at corruption in the temple. And part of the picture of the early disciples is emotion as well. Consider Peter. Remember, he's this great, big, brawny fisherman. 
He is impulsive. He's blustering. He is ready to make an enthusiastic endorsement of Christ as he stood up on the mountaintop. But what happens later? He denies Christ and he whips, we weeps bitter tears. And then days later, while fishing in a boat, Christ calls to him from the seashore and, and Peter's heart leaps with him for joy. He dives into the water and he's the first to reach Christ's side. Emotion? Yes. It has had its place in the lives of Jesus and Peter and it has a definite place in the life for everyday faithful Christians. Emotion enriches our faith. It doesn't cheapen it. Which one of you would want an emotionless marriage? You find these expressions of joy and grief and affection and enthusiasm very meaningful, don't you? They don't weaken your love. They strengthen it, don't they? Emotion can do the very same thing for Christian life. You know, there was a member of this small little town out in the country, and he was visiting this large formal city church. And the pastor that day, he was preaching this wonderful salvation sermon. Man, he was on fire that day. And the visitor got into it, and he shouts, Amen, brother! Amen! You know? Man, as soon as that happened, the ushers, right down on either side of him. You know? And the preacher continued, boy, he's on fire. And this guest, he thought it was great. And he yelled, hallelujah. The chief usher whispered, sir, you need to behave yourself or you need to leave. And the man whispered, he said, I can't help it. I've got religion. And the usher answered back, well, you didn't get it here, so keep quiet. You know, some of the traditional, some churches have been cold and formal. If you show emotion, you're breaking the rules. Influential church reformer John Calvin himself had a strong disdain for emotionalism. But you have to know John Calvin also had kidney stones. And if you ever had one, you know it's hard to, hard to get excited about anything but death. Uh, so Jesus, Jesus, yet Jesus said, he said, love the God with all your heart. And we would be unfaithful not to give God an expression of love from our heart. And whether it comes from laughter, whether it comes from tears, maybe it's the joyous music that we hear. Maybe it's hand clapping. Or at times there's just a loud shout, praise the Lord. And that pleases Jesus. The classical composer Joseph Hayden was once criticized because he had gaiety in his music. The critics, he told the critics, I cannot help it. I give forth what is in me. And when I think of the divine being, my heart is so full of joy that the notes just fly off as from a spindle. As I have such a cheerful heart, he will pardon me if I serve him cheerfully. And yet emotion has its place in the love of God. But emotion alone is not enough. Jesus gives us a second way to love God. He said, love God with all of your mind. Today the Christian church is struggling with a mood of, of, of 
uh, disdain that some people say the mind is of little importance in loving God. Scholarships are belittled. Seminaries are now considered to be dens of, of, uh, of liberalism. The mind is seen as hostile to the faith. And yet, God gave us minds as surely as he gave us emotions, and Jesus has told us to use our brains. He said, seek, ask, and knock. Do you know that this generation in which we live can know more about God and Jesus Christ than any generation that has ever existed? It is true. We profit more by books and hymns and theology and ministries and leisure time to study more than any generation that has ever lived. And if we sit in ignorance, it's only because we have not done our homework. The books are there. The understandings can be yours. All you have to do is love God with your mind enough to study. It's like an old teacher once put it. He said, a man should not be afraid to read a book. For in doing so, there will be more in, of him to love God. So you want to know, like Mary Magdalene, how to love God? Jesus told us how. He said, love him with your emotions. Love him with your mind. Love him with the will that you have. Now you will be careful to observe that all of us are unique blends of emotion and will and intellect. Some of us have a strong dose of willpower and a lack of emotion and mental capacities. Others are very emotionally prone people. God made them this way. It's nothing to be ashamed of. Others are evenly balanced between all three. The beautiful thing about the Christian faith is it does not stereotype any of us. We're not cookie cutters out of the same mold. No two Christians are alike. You see, each one of us is peculiar in, in, this, in his blend of emotion and his well and intellect. When we turn our lives to the love of God, each one of us comes out unique. I love this quote from Harry Emerson Fosdick. He used to say, you know, if we could get religion like a Methodist, and we could be sure of it like a Baptist, and we could preach it like a Presbyterian, but we could enjoy it like an African Methodist Episcopalian, then we'd really have something. You know? Amen? Oh. How true it is. If we could learn, as Jesus asks us in the text, to love God with all our strength, to turn our lives to the love of God, not just parts of it, we could really have something. And we could learn to love him with our full, unique blend of emotion and intellect. He would know we meant business. <sighs> right about now, you're probably saying, you know, I, I, I can't love like that. You know, that, that agape love stuff. He's talking about emotion and will, intellect. For the Creator, with all my strength, I'm supposed to love and all this for His creation? Mm -mm, no, sir. I just don't have that kind of love. And I agree with you. I can't love like that either. 
at least not in my own strength. But in the power of God, I can. In Romans 5, verse 5, Paul wrote, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, which has been given to us. My little daughter, Abby, when she was little, she gave me a sticker one time that she'd gotten in grade school. And it was a gray butterfly. I still remember it was a gray butterfly. And it was one of the plainest looking things. Didn't look in, you know, just a, just a gray butterfly. But she said, Dad, touch it. And so I did. And that, that butterfly became a lovely iridescent rainbow of colors. You know, it's, it was something about how the ink reacted to the heat of one's fingers and unleashed this hidden beauty in it. And that's something like what happens to us when the power of God touches it. We've got the emotion, we've got the will, we've got the intellect, but it's, it's a dull and loveless gray. But yet when we choose to respond to God's love for us, we allow Jesus to touch us and fill us with his Holy Spirit, then this supernatural love is unleashed in our lives. And then there's this unique, multicolored, emotional, willful, and intellectual love for God and his creation, and it's expressed in our lifestyle. This is what the Apostle Paul, or the Apostle John meant when he said, we love because he first loved us. You know, friends, people come to pastors in great numbers, people who are concerned about their Christian experience. Some people complain that they're bored. Some have difficult questions to deal with. Others are crying out in loneliness. So how about you? Are you troubled with your Christian experience? Is there something missing? Do you feel like life is just not all that it could be? So why not try to love God completely? Love him with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. Love your neighbor as you do yourself. Do that and see if you aren't satisfied. After all, Jesus said this is the greatest commandment. He said to obey it will bring you the greatest life. Let's pray. Lord, fill our lives. Fill my life. And teach me to love like Jesus.